Back in the day, when Elvis Presley was finished with a concert, the audience would demand encore after encore. But it got so bad that the public address announcer would have to announce to the audience, Elvis has left the building. That meant that was it. There will be no more encores. But that expression, Elvis has left the building, has become an idiomatic expression to mean that it's over, it's done, he's gone. And when it comes to God's spirit, does there ever come a point where he might just leave the building? One day, if we continue in our foolishness and our stubbornness, the spirit is going to leave the building. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. Today, Charles Tapp concludes this series, Going Deeper, Reaching Wider, Experiencing the Presence and Power of the Holy Spirit, by asking if there's anything we could do to ever cause the Holy Spirit to leave us, and therefore, not do the transformative work in our lives. With his message, The Departure of the Spirit. As we've come to the end of our series, there are some things that I shared with you in the last segment that we titled The Gift That Keeps On Giving that I want to share with you again. I think there is power in repetition. Amen? So here's something I want us to to hear at the very top of the message so we do not forget it. And that is this, that when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, and when we invite the presence of his Holy Spirit to be with us and to live in us, there are three things that immediately take place when we do that. The first is this, that at that moment, you and I are granted salvation. Notice what I said. At that moment, not a year later, not 10 years down the road, but when I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, at that moment, I receive salvation. That is why Paul said in the book, of Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, then we confess the Lord Jesus with our mouths and we believe the fact that he was raised from the dead by God, that we shall have eternal life. And Paul even says even further in his epistle to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he says, for by grace are you saved and not of yourselves. It is the gift of of God and no one has the right to boast. That's the first thing that takes place, salvation. The second thing that takes place in our lives when we accept Christ and invite his Holy Spirit into our hearts is that the Holy Spirit begins a work in us through his presence and power where he begins to produce a fruit, a harvest of Christ-like traits that resemble, that reflect, and reveal 
the characteristics of God. Characteristics like love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, and all the rest, which is evidence that God's spirit is working within us. For Jesus himself said, by their fruit, by their harvest, you will what? Know them. In other words, they will be revealed. And this work of producing these character traits that resemble that of Christ in our lives is not the work of a moment. In other words, although it begins when we invite Christ into our lives, it doesn't end there, but it takes place over our entire lives. Paul says in Philippians chapter one, verse six, he says, I'm, I'm confident of this one thing, that he who began this good work, and he's referring to the work of the Holy Spirit, he calls it the good work. He says, he, he who began this good work in you shall see it through to its completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And what is Paul saying? That it's going to take a lifetime for me to become more like Jesus. And when you and I thirdly invite God's presence and power through the Holy Spirit in our lives, it produces fruit, but it also produces and grants us gifts. Gifts, special abilities, skills that are to be used to build up the body of Christ, that's you and that's me, but they're also to be used to help advance the kingdom, which is God's rule on this earth and in the hearts of men, women, boys and girls. But Paul also lets us know in 1 Corinthians 12 that it is the Holy Spirit who decides who will receive what gifts. And by virtue of our gifts, they determine our place, they determine our role in the body of Christ. The potential effectiveness of the use of our gifts is largely dependent upon whether they're being used in partnership, please don't miss this, with our fruit. Let me show you what I mean. Turn to your Bibles with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. There's something that Paul says at the very beginning of his letter to the believers at Corinth that I think many of us just read right over. We don't really understand what Paul is trying to say. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 and 2, talking about the partnership between fruit and gifts. Look at what he says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of what? Angels. Tongues, we just said, is a what? Gift. A special ability to be able to speak a language that you do not know or to interpret that language. So that's a gift. He could have easily said, though I speak with the gift of tongues of men and of angels, but have not what? Love, and love is what? A fruit of the Spirit and not a gift because everybody doesn't receive 
all the gifts, but everybody should have what? Love. So Paul could have said, though I speak with the gift of tongues of men and of angels, but have not the fruit of love, I have become what? Sounding brass or a what? Clanging cymbal. What is Paul saying? You can be highly gifted, but if your gifts don't work in partnership with your fruit, all you're doing is making a whole lot of noise. You can teach, but if you don't have a spirit of love, if you don't have a spirit of patience in using that gift, you're just making noise. Because the greater thing is not the gift, it's the fruit. It's not the power to do, but rather it's the power to be. And I love the order of this sequence of the work of the Holy Spirit that he does in our lives. Notice the first thing he does is to grant us salvation, not give us gifts, because if he had given us gifts first and then given us salvation later, some of us would have thought that maybe my salvation is dependent upon my gifts, so I need to work harder at my gifts so that I can be saved. And some of us are doing that even now. We think the more we do, the better we are in the sight of God. But that's not the order. He said, first you're saved. Then I begin a good work in you. You and I would do it just the opposite, wouldn't we? We would say, you develop your fruit, you master your gifts, and then I'll work with you. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm giving you the gift of salvation first. So now you can have the freedom to allow my spirit to do his work. And now they have the love to use your God-given gifts. Who says amen to that today? Thank God he doesn't work like we do. And as important as this work of the Holy Spirit is in our lives, for our life here and our life to come, God does not force himself on us. But despite the relentless effort on the part of God. In the end, the decision to serve him, to have him live in our lives is up to us. And God loves you and he loves me so much. Listen to this, that God gives us the choice even to reject him. And believe it or not, even though God gives us that freedom, it grieves him. It pains him. Paul talks about this even further in Ephesians chapter 4. Turn quickly. 25 to verse 30. Talking about painting the Holy Spirit. Therefore, putting away what? Lying. Let each of you speak what? Truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. I like that. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Verse 26, be angry and do not what? Sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 27, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good. Working is good. 
Let him labor working his ha- with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has what? Need, verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification for building up that it may impart grace to the hearers. In other words, don't use your tongue to put people down. Use your tongue to lift people up. We need to tell people what we're thinking. Share with them with our lips. Lift them up. Impart grace, he says, to the hearers. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When Paul says that we should not grieve with the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, he is acknowledging that the Holy Spirit is not a thing, that the Holy Spirit is not just a power, that the Holy Spirit is not an essence, but the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead who is able to experience both sadness and pain. And he makes it clear that at times what grieves God's spirit, what causes his pain is my behavior and your behavior. The spirit of God that we just read, he says, lying instead of telling the truth grieves the heart of God. And I love what Franklin Roosevelt said, the, the 32nd president of the United States. He said, repetition does not transform a lie into truth. And in case you don't know what he meant by that, he meant this. You can tell a lie, same lie, over and over and over And over again, it will not transform it into truth. It was a lie the first time you said it. It was a lie the tenth time. And the reason why the Spirit of God is is so grieved by this kind of behavior on our part, because it is completely antithetical to the work that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. He desires to produce fruit. And when you and I do these things, instead of allowing the fruit to be produced in our lives, it begins to erode and may ultimately nullify our witness. You can tell people about truth all you want and about what the Bible says all you want. But if you don't have the fruit of the spirit, it nullifies and negates your witness. That's why Jesus said to the disciples before he went back to heaven, when the spirit comes, he will pour you your life with power and you shall be my witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the entire world. And by witnesses, he didn't mean by going knocking on somebody's door and giving them religious literature. The witness that you and I give is not by what we do, it's by who we are, who we become. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Departure of the Spirit. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. 
Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in his grace and breathing out his praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged. To get more encouraging content, go to WGTS919.com. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, Charles Tapp asks whether there's anything we could ever do to cause the Holy Spirit to leave us and therefore not be able to do the transformative work in our lives. As he concludes his message, the departure of the Spirit. The witness that you and I give is not by what we do, it's by who we are, who we become. And in order to grieve the Holy Spirit, now please don't miss this, It means that we have to disregard the fruit-producing work that he is doing in our lives. And the reason Paul is so adamant in expressing his disdain for when it comes to the grieving of the Holy Spirit is because he recognizes that if this is not put into check, it has the potential of escalating into something that is far more dangerous. And he elaborates on what that is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Turn quickly. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, gift. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of what? Evil. When I read this, I thought to myself, wouldn't it have been easier for Paul to have reversed this and said, abstain from all evil, list the evils, and then say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. But instead, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then he begins to tell us how we can grieve the Spirit of God. This word quench, when used in Scripture, is in relationship to not satisfying one's thirst. You've seen the commercial, quench your thirst. But in scripture, this word always is in relationship to suppressing, extinguishing, or putting out fire. And fire in the Holy Word of God is symbolic of the Spirit of God. So what is Paul saying? When he says, don't quench the Holy Spirit, he's saying, don't suppress, don't extinguish, don't put out the fire of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Well, how do we do that, Paul? By lying, by stealing, and using our tongues to put people down instead of lifting people up. We quench the work of the Holy Spirit. We fight against the work that he is tempting to do in our lives. And because the inherent danger is that we might reach the point that we put the fire of the Holy Spirit out all together. Now, we can't 
literally do away with the Holy Spirit, but we can extinguish his ability to perform his work in our lives by refusing to give him access to our lives. Let's look at this last passage for this morning. Mark chapter 3. Mark 3 as we look at verses 28 to verse 29. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against whom? The Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. Never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. This is what is referred to as the unpardonable or the unforgivable sin. As I always say, context is everything. And in Mark chapter 3, this is what is actually going on, which prompted Jesus to say these strong words. Israel's leaders, and you can read it in Mark chapter 3 as well as in Matthew's gospel as well. Israel's leaders had witnessed firsthand the power of God working in the life of Jesus. And they witnessed it by him performing miracle after miracle after miracle. Here's the thing. You and I believe by faith. They didn't need that much faith back then. If I saw somebody raise somebody from the dead, I would say, uh, yeah, they, they, they have some power. But instead of acknowledging that his miracles were of God, they accused them of the fact that he was doing the devil's work. And Jesus basically said, that doesn't make any sense. He says, if I cast out demons, how can Satan cast out Satan? In other words, Jesus, they knew he was God, but because of their prideful hearts, they refused to accept him. Please do not miss what I'm about to say. When things don't conform to our ideas as to what it should be, even if what is being done is good, many times we reject it all together. In other words, if God decides to do a work in a way that we are not accustomed to him doing, are using someone that we don't feel he should use, instead of saying that's a good work, we reject it altogether and say that must be of the enemy because it does not come in the compartment that we're accustomed to. But if it always did, then we would have control of God. And as Isaiah reminds us, God always is willing to do a new thing. And because Jesus did not look like the Savior, the Messiah. He didn't have the right birth, the lineage. They said, this cannot be of God. And we look at young people that God is using and because God gives them certain gifts or because he gives women certain gifts or because he gives older folks certain gifts and, and they're using and they're doing a work that is different. They're doing church in a different kind of way. Oh, that can't be God. Are you kidding me? 
Are you telling me this is the only way to do church? Listen, in about 10 years, it's going to look a whole lot different than this. Trust me. And the times are going to demand it. So they knew what he was doing was God of God. But they said, you know what? Because it doesn't look like we feel it should look. And because God isn't using who we feel he should use, it can't be of God. So they blinded themselves and stuffed their ears and refused to follow the way of God's leading. And when you and I do that, we inevitably cut ourselves off from God. And in cutting ourselves off from God, we extinguish, we put out his redemptive, reconciling, restorative work through the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know I love idiomatic expressions. One of the reasons why I love idiomatic expressions is because you cannot deduce the meaning of the expression by the words contained in the expression. For instance, if you tell someone to get off your back, you're not telling them to literally get off your back, but you're telling them to leave you alone. Years ago, when Elvis would give concerts, people would hang around after he gave his last song, hoping that he would come back out and do an encore. You know how some groups do that, right? Some artists, they plan it in advance. That's why when they come out, the song is already cued. The group already knows, oh, you want another song? Oh, well, we didn't really prepare. Okay. But it got so bad that what began to happen was the public address announcer would have to announce to the audience, Elvis has left the building. That meant, for real, there will be no encore. He's not here. He's on the bus. He's gone. Elvis has been dead for quite some time. But that expression, Elvis has left the building, has become an idiomatic expression to mean that it's over, it's done, he's gone. Here's the danger in grieving God's spirit. One day, if we continue in our foolishness and our stubbornness, the spirit is going to leave the building. And I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about this building. As Paul says, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? So when you and I purposely, intentionally blind ourselves to the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in time, the Holy Spirit, if we're not careful, will leave the building. And the reason why this is an unforgivable sin is because we no longer place ourselves in a position to be forgiven. And this is not a sin that is, takes place in a single act, but the sin against the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a long-term attitude, a continual state of having contempt for God's work that is being done in your life. You are determined, no matter what God is doing, you are going to have it your way. And one day, if you continue, and if I continue to grieve his spirit, he will allow us to have it our way. But there's some good news here. If you're listening by radio, if you're worshiping online, or if you're here today, 
in our sanctuary, here's the good news, that if, if you are concerned as to whether you have committed the unpardonable sin, you have not committed the unpardonable sin. Because the mere fact that you express that concern means that the Holy Spirit is still at work in your life. Who says amen to that? That's why it's the work of a lifetime. That's why you may not have patience for me, but God has patience for me. So my prayer for God's people today, of which I am one, is that we will grab hold of, cling to, the life-transforming work that the Spirit of God is doing in each of our lives. Who says amen to that today? You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Departure of the Spirit. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. Where is this body of believers whose manifesto it is to set the captives free and whose politics are founded on the principles of righteousness and justice? Where is that church? Next week, we hope you can plan to join us again as Charles Tapp shares what the believer's role is in bringing God's kingdom to earth with his message, The Politics of Jesus. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.